0: you bow with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we have the opportunity to be here today in your house with people that are family, that are friends, and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you that we have a chance to be challenged from your word, to be encouraged by the same, to have uh, friendships and relationships that push us forward to the goal that we have. Lord, we recognize this morning that we're in the middle of a great war. A war that has been raging since the beginning of time from the moment that Adam and Eve took of the fruit and gave it to to Adam. Lord, we we know that uh, this world has been broken. and That's obvious to all of us. But Lord, you've given us an opportunity to be whole, to be complete in you. Lord, just help us to make the most of that opportunity and help us to do our part to live our lives in a way that bring you glory, and bring you honor. Just pray, Lord, this morning as we open your word that you would open our hearts to what it is that you have to say to us, and that we might be challenged by the things that we find there, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name, amen. amen. You know, of all the creatures in creation, I think that fish have not made. I mean, you know, like the deer, they kind of have to stalk through the woods, and the pigs have to watch out if Jody Gidry is on the pipeline right there, and and, uh, and 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 the birds, they have to watch for other birds, right? And I know there's predatory fish as well, but but but. But if you're going to go fishing, let's say this afternoon, you're like, man, which is not a good time to go fishing, incidentally, but if you were going to go fishing, you're going to go out, and you're going to look, and there's a waterway, right? And, and, And to you, all the fish that are in that waterway are completely invisible. It might be loaded full of them, but you are completely incapable of getting one of those fish out, probably, unless you trap it, maybe. But those of you, and probably most of us have fished here this morning, you guys know that that as fishermen, we make a sport out of figuring out how we can lure a fish to bite on a hook, so that we can pull it out of its safe environment and put it in our on our frying pan, right? And we do that. We we do that with with lures that exploit a fish's natural desires. Fish is after certain kinds of things and, and they're certain after certain bugs and they have certain needs. They need to eat. They need to reproduce. And these are just kind of hardwired into that teeny tiny little fish brain. And as fishermen, we figure out how can we mimic Things that that fish naturally desires, with an intention to do that fish great harm. Right now, unless you're one of those guys, and that's great, that are like big bass tournament fishers that they go out and catch a great big bass, take a picture, release it back into the water. I have a lot of friends that are fishermen, um, and uh, and my friends Most generally, do not release fish back into the, unless they're like this big. They do not release fish back into the wilds of nature to grow larger. They put them in a cooler and take them home and eat them, all right? And so you, you get a collection of lures. I brought some fly fishing lures today because I want to bring a tackle box with me, right? But some of you guys that are real fishermen, you guys have tackle boxes that look like tool chests. I mean, there's something in there for every occasion. And the, 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 the real good fisherman knows what to present, how to present, and at what depth to present to catch fish. Truth of the matter is that anyone can catch a fish, but not anyone knows how to catch the fish. Now, having that information or that knowledge gives us a real tactical advantage because the fish is out there swimming around, and he's really, really hungry for, say, a mayfly. I got a mayfly lure in here. If you're a fly fisherman, which I would love to be someday, but I don't live in the right part of the country. <clears throat> I'd say that it's a mayfly hatch. We have those right out here. Sometimes if you have lights on your house, those little tiny silver little things with the wings in the background. And the fish love them, especially trout. They're jumping out to get those little mayflies. And and suppose that that, that you're a trout and you have been making a meal all day on these tasty, succulent mayflies that are just full of protein and the stuff you need. And then comes along a stealthy fisherman who ties a tiny little hook into a little feather-up creature that looks exactly like a mayfly. And he presents that on top of the Water And it flies across the surface of water, exactly like a mayfly, flies across the surface of the water, and little trout belly growls, and trout jumps out of the water, and he grabs on to that beautiful, succulent mayfly, only to encounter the sharp tug and a sharp biting pain in his cheek, and before he knows it, he is being drugged in a direction that he is not swimming, going to someone that he does not want to meet, and if he's lucky, they'll turn him back into the river. But if he's like most of them, he's going to end up as dinner. Now, all of us understand fishing. But I want you to know this morning that there is a being out there that is fishing for you. The last few weeks we've been talking about being battle ready. And it's a serious sermon series. It's starting off in the beginning of the year, and I just want us to have the tools and equipment so that we're prepared when things happen. The truth is, is that if you're alive and you're breathing air here today, you have something in common with a fish. You have needs and desires. You have certain things that you're naturally attracted to. It's a part of your development. Now, it may be different, just like in the fishing world. You don't catch trout the same way you catch sockele, and you don't catch sockele the same way you catch bass. We are different. We're individuals, but there are things that attract us. And there is a being in this world who has had about 8,000 years of human history to study, to observe, and to understand what attracts human beings. And he's going to offer those things to us. But he offers them to us with a hook. There's another being in the universe that also offers to us those things that we need. He offers to us those things that will make us complete, that will nourish us, that will equip us and make us ready. But when he offers these things to us, there are no strings attached. There are no hooks. They are free gifts given to us so that we might flourish and we might grow. One of those beings is our creator and our loving father. And the other of those beings is Satan, his nemesis. The one that, from the very beginning of our human creation, has been setting about to destroy each and everything that God cherishes and loves. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about how we can equip ourselves to not be that individual that's lured. The truth is is that all of us have been on the end of that hook at one time or another, right? And for many of us here this morning, we've made a choice. We've said at some point in my life, I am on a hook that I cannot get off of. I'm being pulled in the direction I do not want to go. And God came to us and said, would you like to be redeemed? Would you like to have a second chance at this? And we've said, yes, amen, sign me up. And that string has been cut. And an opportunity has been given for us once again to swim freely. But the crazy thing about human nature is that so often we seemingly find our way back to those same, those same hooks over and over and over again. And we have a wonderful and deeply gracious God who loves us enough to continually intervene on our behalf. And the blood of Jesus covers those sins. But the truth is that we all want, for not only for ourselves, but also because of our love for our Lord, we want to avoid that kind, of, that kind of repeat mistake. And so we're going to talk this morning, very quickly, we're going to go through eight things. And I know some of you are filled with morbid fear right now. Jason is going to preach on eight subjects. He can preach for 45 minutes on three. I promise we're going to go quickly. But we're going to talk about eight things that every single one of us should do so that we have tactics to understand how to avoid those, those hooks. We, we still have needs, guys. We still have to go out and live our lives. God didn't just pull us out of the world when we became Christians and put us in an insular environment where we cannot get hurt. No, he said, I want you to be in the world, but I don't want you to be of, of the world. I want you to still be out there, but I want you to think differently. So we're going to talk this morning about how we can do that. I want to start off and remind all of us that we are not the only fish that have ever swam these waters. There are generations of fish that have swum the waters that we are swimming today before us. Most importantly, Jesus Christ lived our life, uh, lived a life on this world with us. And the writer of Hebrews says it in this compelling way. He says in Hebrews the fourth chapter and verse fifteen, this, and you know this text. But he says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has, in every respect, has been tempted as we are." And yet is without sin. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, look, we don't have a high priest that doesn't know what's going on in our lives. It's not like there's that old song from the 80s, I think, um, that that said uh, God is watching us from a distance. You guys remember that? He used to play at weddings a lot, and maybe some of you guys remember that. Yeah, some of you are trying to sing it right now. Yes, um, wait, wait, wait. I'm not going to sing it to you, but you know the song, and that idea of that song is, you know, God knows what's going on, but he sees it from a distance. He's a rather disconnected God. You know, there was a song in the 90s, what if God were one of us, you know, just, just a regular person, like one of us, um, like a stranger on the bus, and there's all those people are looking at that and are thinking, God doesn't really know what's going on, but the writer of Hebrews reminds us, yes, he does. The difference that Jesus had, the advantage that Jesus had over us is that Jesus knew everything. He had complete information. And so when Satan showed up, he recognized who he was. He recognized the tactics he was going to use, and he knew what he needed to do to sidestep that tactic and to live yet another day. And Jesus not only did that for one day, but he did that through a lifetime and ultimately would die as a sinless lamb for our forgiveness and so let's just start off with number one because we've got eight of these or so we got to roll through them we're gonna have to move quickly this morning number one is this that we are to pray as Jesus taught us and I think this is really important this is something that I did not do for a long time and I don't know why Uh, when you look back at it it, it's the most logical and easy thing to do Um, I just kind of always thought that well temptation is just going to happen and it will but but Jesus said something very interesting in the Lord's prayer, Matthew the 6th chapter. If you if you remember that the disciples come to Jesus and they say, "Lord, teach us how to pray." I'm assuming that when Jesus prayed, his communication with God carried something that was just so powerful and real and genuine that the apostles wanted that. You know, when you when you know someone has a real relationship, man, teach us to pray like that. Not like those guys in the temple that have all these flowery prayers but really don't seem to get higher than the ceiling. Teach us to pray like Jesus prayed. And so Jesus gives them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, but really is a model prayer, um, the, the kind of building blocks that we build our own prayer life around. And in verse 13, Jesus says this He says, in his part of the prayer, He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I, I think this needs to be a part of our everyday prayer, probably more than just every day, multiple times in a day, Lord, lead me not into temptation today. Now the truth is, we all know that God doesn't lead us into temptation. God isn't like, "Hey, Jason, come see if this will bite." You know, when I was a kid, my granddad loved to lead me into uh, temptation, um, especially out in the pasture. Uh, my, my granddad would like to walk alongside of us, and uh, he had been lo- shocked by electric fence enough in his life, or he just enjoyed torturing his grandkids. I don't know which, but he would try to get us to walk by him right close enough to the electric fence, and then he would quickly simultaneously grab the fence and touch us at the same time. And- and it snaps like crazy if you've never had that happen. And he would laugh. He thought that was so funny. All right, pretty soon we got to where we wouldn't walk anywhere but in the center of the pasture with Grandpa. We ain't coming to no fence by you. Um, but, uh, but, but it's not like God is not my grandfather, all right? He's not just bringing us up to temptation. The idea there is, is that we are praying, God, you know what's lying in my path today. You know what Satan is planning for me today. I don't know that, but you do. God, route me around it. God, keep me away from those temptations. There's two things in this text that I think are really important for us to recognize. These are really good attitudes for us to have when it comes to sin. Number one is this. There is a recognition and admission that any of us on any day are susceptible to failing in temptation. That's a really important thing to admit Sometimes I think we get the idea that, well, I'm impervious to temptation, or I've got that, man. I've heard people say that before to me. Oh, you don't have to worry about me. I've got it. The Bible says if you think you're standing firm, what? Be careful lest you fall, right? Because that cockiness, that arrogance can tend to really cause us some problems. So one thing that that little simple prayer admits is that, God, I recognize that I could fail today. Let me just submit this to you tonight this morning i believe that at any moment if satan was allowed to he could present a temptation that was bad enough and tailored to your weaknesses well enough that almost any of us in this room would fall to that temptation i think he's good enough to do that god is good enough and gracious enough to prevent that from happening we need to welcome that the second part of that that's important to notice is the second part and deliver us not to the evil one Simply, God, keep me away from Satan today. Don't let him get to me today. If Jesus said it was okay for us to pray this prayer, it's okay for us to pray this prayer, and we should be praying for that. Jesus built on that in Matthew 26, verse 41. He told the disciples this. He said, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Jesus had the opinion that temptation was something that it was good to avoid. Sometimes we have this opinion, opinion that it's just inevitable. It's going to happen, right? We've got to bear up underneath it. And there are seasons in life where that is exactly true. You're going to have to just stand up to it, stand firm. Remember, that's the whole idea of this sermon series. We've been called to stand firm. We've got to do that. But Jesus said, if you can help it, avoid, avoid those seasons of temptation. Pray. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The bait can be presented. Pray that God will open our eyes to see what it really is. That he'll sharpen our vision so that we might see the hook. That we might be watching it carefully enough that we know it doesn't look like the real thing. And we don't jump out and take that advantage. Secondly, if we're going to be successful in dealing with temptation, if we're going to be successful in dealing with being lured in by Satan, the second thing that we need to do, and it's important as well, is don't try to deal with it alone. I think sometimes we, we try to deal with some of the biggest challenges in our lives, challenges that really we aren't able to deal with because we keep failing over and over and over again. But we, we won't tell anybody. We won't open up that circle. We refuse to be, to be vulnerable in front of people and to get help of other people around us. James says something interesting in James, the fifth chapter. This is one of the things that we talk a lot about in Celebrate Recovery, and it's really a principle that's not just for those who are struggling with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and addictions. It's a principle for all Christians. It's a principle that I've seen work a thousand times, probably, in ministry. It simply says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other, And pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be, and pray for each other rather, so that you may be healed. Now, let me just point out a couple things because sometimes people look at this and they're like, wait, I thought I was supposed to confess my sin to God. You are. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. That's not what James is saying here. James says that we confess our sins to one another so that we might be healed, so that we might get over that season of temptation, that we might work our way through that struggle. When we include other people in that battle, all of a sudden we are, we are invigorated and we are empowered in ways that we would not be if we hadn't done that. We have accountability, which is a good thing. We all need that. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We have support. Because there's seasons and times where we are weak and we need the support of other people, so we have support. We have encouragement. People that are coming alongside of us and saying, hey, you're doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. Well, keep it up. Keep going. Keep moving in that direction. You've done the right thing. You've made it through this today or you've made it through before lunch. Way to go. And we have somebody there that if we fall is going to offer grace and pick us back up and help us back on our feet again. We have someone to lift us up. Matthew 26, again, in verse 41, Jesus is talking to the apostles here, as you know, and he says, all of you must keep awake and watch and pray that you will not come into temptation. Everyone has to be vigilant. Not just one or two of us. There's not just in this room this morning a couple of us that are struggling. The truth is, as you look around church this morning, you're looking around a congregation full of people who have struggles. They may not be your struggles. That might not be, it might not be your current struggle. But everyone is struggling with something. And I think life and Satan certainly makes sure of that. Jesus said, keep awake give strict attention be cautious be active the amplified bible says watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation because our spirits are willing but our flesh is weak i don't think there's hardly anyone in this room this morning i would guess there's no one in this room this morning that intentionally dislikes to do bad things because it's fun There's people like that in the world. We all know them. Some of us have been that person before, but that's not who we are now. We don't go out and just do stupid, dumb, sinful things because we enjoy it, but sometimes we do those things because we are fleshly. We're weak, and we slip into those areas of sin. We need one another. Brothers and sisters, that's one of the most powerful things that the church provides us is a family of believers that encourage us, that challenge us, that hold us together together. That pick us up when we fail. Hebrews once again the tenth chapter in verse twenty-four. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it, and I think this is just a good memory verse for all of us. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works. And I love that word stir, because we normally, we, we normally look at the, somebody who stirs people up as a negative thing, right? Like, yeah, they stir in the pot. And there's some of us that are really good pot stirs in this room this morning. So let me tell you guys, if you are a good pot stir, if people have told you, you can really stir people up. And I know some of you have been told this before, right? Because you're good at it. It's just your natural gift. That was given you by God to do good with, all right? So here's what you need to stir people up with. Stir people up to love and to good works. Generally, when I stir people up, I stir them up to orneriness. But but, but in the Bible here, it's talking about stirring people up to love more deeply and to do good things in the world. And that means that you do the same thing that you're doing negative on the negative side of the spectrum and the positive side of the spectrum. When you see people doing good things, you encourage them, you pump them up, you let other people know, you love and you encourage them to love other people. And then he goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together is a habit of some. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have a statistic that's been happening now for the last 50 years, um, but it's really becoming a, a really strong uh, statistic culturally today. Um, about in the 1950s, well, as the 40s gave away to the 1950s, church attendance in America, believably, unbelievably, was almost 80%, almost 80% of the people in America attended some kind of a worship service um, every Sunday, you think about that for just a moment, that's pretty staggering. There's a lot of people in America, but if you look at what led up to that, that was a season of some very difficult times in America. 1930s, we had the Great Depression. 1940s, the Great World War. The Great Depression was preceded by the First World War, the Great War, and, and there had been a season, a long season of death and of loss and of suffering, and I think that people had a sober mind about them as a whole, and they just recognized this life is very short and we need to do the most with it. From that point in time, that number's been trailing off. And and, and when when I started ministry, it was said that people attended church about roughly between 2.5, faithful attenders, when they're interviewed, said that they attended church somewhere between 2.5 and three times per month. So in other words, the average attender in a church that was faithful in attendance would miss one Sunday a month, which is pretty much on average. If you look at those same numbers today, those same numbers today look very different. Those numbers are down to about 1.8 to 1.6 Sundays a month that people are attending. In other words, just for quick statistics, if you weren't good at statistical math, less than half of the time, faithful attenders are attending church. And it's because we live in a busy world. It's because we have a lot of distractions. It's because we have a lot of other ways to get information. I get that. But church, here's the thing. Paul did not say, don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together as a habit of some so that you don't you miss out on learning opportunities. You can learn in a many, many different ways. I want to read this text to you today. I want you to understand why it's so important that you're here this morning. Here it is. He says, let us stir one another up to love and good works, right? Not neglecting meeting together is a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our purpose for gathering together as this body of believers this morning is to encourage one another. You look around on a Sunday morning. Maybe at your workplace, you're only one. Maybe you're in your school, you're only one of a handful of students that have that faith in God. But when you come together as a church family, it's a community, it's a group of people. Um, they know you for who you are. They know your warts and your wrinkles, and they love you anyway. And there's not very many places in the world where you find that kind of unconditional love and that kind of grace, and we need that. And when we're not there... We don't have an opportunity to receive it, but most importantly, we don't have an opportunity to give it to others who need it. We're, our job is to be more giving than it is taking. And I think in American culture today, we've got this idea of the church kind of mixed up. We think of the church as a place where we receive. But when Jesus talked about the church, he said it's a, it's a body, it's a family, it's an organization of people that give. And when you look at the New Testament church, there's a, it's a huge giving organization. They were giving in a million ways to the great needs of people. So don't try to do it alone. We're moving along quickly. Number three of the eight things that that are important to, to learn here this morning, probably there's too many, but I just didn't know how to narrow it down. Know yourself well. One of the beautiful things about getting older, if you're younger here this morning, hey, this is something you have to look forward to. But when you start to get in your 40s and your 50s, you pretty much know who you are. You've, you've, you've run into a few battles in life that you've won. You've run into a handful of battles in life that you've lost. And having an honest estimate of who you are as a person is such a valuable thing for all of us to have. Know yourself well. Know where your weaknesses are. Paul was a guy I think that understood himself very well. And as he wrote in Romans, he he tended to kind of bring us through in in Romans 6, 7, 8, and 9, this kind of internal struggle that he had worked through. And I just want to pull a part of that text this morning. Really, if you read just Romans 7, you miss the glory of Romans 8. Um, you, You kind of miss something right there. But if you read Romans 8 without reading Romans 7, you've missed something too. This is what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 21. He said, so I find it to be a law. Now, Paul was a lawyer. He was a guy who studied law. And so he's saying, I find this to be a very reliable principle. All right? It's not a law from God, but it's a very reliable principle of life that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. As I read through this, you're going to be like, yes, Jason, this is, this is a law. Paul, you got it right. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In my heart, I, I want to do the right thing. But I see in my members another war that's waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul is creating for us this image right here. Don't get lost in this text because sometimes Paul writes and it's kind of confusing. He's saying, I've just observed this about myself. When I want to do a good thing, there's always going to be an opportunity to do a bad thing really close at hand. And there's this battle going on between my intellect, between my mind, between what I know and what I feel. My, my body, my members, what I want to do. I know what I should do, but I don't feel like I want to do it. How many of us can, can, can kind of sympathize with where Paul is this morning? All right, either we're not catching this or we're all asleep this morning. How many of you can sympathize with it? All right, good. At least five of us can. Um, I certainly can this morning. I get this. Man, this is tough, right? Um, this is exactly the fight that we fight every day. He said, I, I see my members... Uh, Let's see. But I see in my members a war, a war waged against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he says in verse 24, What a wretched man am I? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself shall serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, Paul is not talking about having some kind of duality and living as a hypocritical person. Paul will very strongly come out against hypocrisy. Don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He's just saying, I recognize that in my mind, I want to do the right thing. But in my heart and in my activities, I will on occasion fail. And he compares himself. He said, what a broken person, what a wretched person am I? I need Jesus. I hope that all of us this morning have that kind of real sense of who we are hope we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, this is the areas, Jason Quarter where you're struggling. These are the places in your life where things need to tighten up. These are the areas in your life that you need to overcome some things. And it might seem odd, but we need to study ourselves. We need to know ourselves. We need to know our personality. We need to know our circumstances. We need to know our disposition. We need to understand our life circumstances. I'm not talking about blaming anybody for anything in life because it really doesn't do any good. We are a product of our own decisions. But... How we came up definitely shapes who we are today. Our early life experiences certainly shape how we look at the world. And so we need to be careful and pay attention to those things. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, in verse 22, it says, "...but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him the truth that is in Jesus." to put off your old self that belongs to the former manner of life and the corrupt and deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul talks about taking off something like we would take off clothing. He said, I want you to get rid of that old way of thinking, and I want you to put on a brand new set of clothes, clothes that are fashioned to look like Jesus Christ. That's a huge challenge. It's also an amazing opportunity that I hope all of us take seriously. We've been given an opportunity to look like Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. I think maybe that's one of the greatest opportunities that the church is missing today. While we're busy being distracted by a million things, the world needs Jesus and we're to look like that. Number four, we're halfway there and the rest of them are going to go quickly. Learn to recognize temptation. Learn to kind of look at life and to take a moment, take a deep breath, step back and say, is this legit or is this something that's pulling me away from God? Temptation is, well, tempting and that's the problem with it, right? We look at it and we're like, boy, I'd like that. That looks good. I think that'd be fun. You know, I have this need, and it's not being fulfilled here. Maybe I can find it there. I really would like to experience that. That's how we're sucked in, just like the old fish. He has a need to eat tasty mayflies, and the fisherman knows that. So the fisherman presents his perfect imitation of a mayfly to destroy that fish. So we need to learn how to recognize temptation. The beauty is is that we aren't mindless little creatures that are swimming through water, but we've been given a beautiful mind that is very creative and very observant. And sometimes we we just need to kind of hone in on those parts of our personality. Some of you guys are just naturally very observant people, but most of us are trained to be observant. Uh, this last week, I was going through a, a documentary on, uh, on when they formed the CIA. And one of the first things that all the recruits had happen to them as they're sitting in class, the very first class of their teaching how to become a spy, there's two guys that ran through the classroom and followed by a third guy that was shooting at the two guys that ran through the classroom. I mean, you imagine that? Just like Sunday morning, you know, everyone's... You... Next thing you know, there's guys running through, people shooting at these guys, and then the instructor steps off the podium and says, how many men ran through? How many shots were fired? Which direction did they go to? And he said, welcome to Camp X, gentlemen. In other words, what he was telling them is, hey, guys, we are training you to be observant. and We're not in a world war here, guys, but we are in a spiritual battle, and we can't afford just to kind of go with it we need to look at the kind of influences that are making their way into our homes and into our lives with somewhat of a cynical eye. I really like this tv show I enjoy it it helps me just to kind of relax at the end of the day but what kind of messages is that tv show passing me or my family I really like that particular song. This past week, we were with the girls, we were sitting around, we were listening to some TikTok songs, and there's this really catchy kind of TikTok deal, and, um, and, and everyone tries to imitate this vocal inflection. It's pretty amazing um, and very, very hard to do. I'm like, shucks, what, what song is that? And so I looked it up. <laughs> yeah, it's not the kind of song that you sing. Um, it's not the kind of lyrics you want. And we were starting to repeat the lyrics, and the girls said, that's enough right there. Um, yeah, you know, because, because there are all kinds of influences that just kind of cram in on us today. How much of that is really starting to have an effect on us? We need to be observant. We need to pay attention. James, the first chapter, James noticed this in verse 14. He said, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James really kind of strips out a lot of the stuff. You know, a lot of people say, well, the devil made me do it or the devil presented this temptation. And James is like, don't you bring that to me. I'm practical. (laughs) Here's what happens. We're tempted when we're lured and we're enticed by things that we want, by our own desires. And then when desire is conceived, so then all of a sudden we didn't catch that this was a luring thing, right? So we're lured and we're pulled in and then we look at it and we're like, boy, I'd really like that. Boy, I'd really like that. And, 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 and humans have this ability to obsess about something, right? If you ever, if, if ever somebody, uh, if you really like chocolate cake, all right, Bruce likes chocolate cake. Um, and, uh, and that gets mentioned a lot of times in jokes and classes. But you start thinking about chocolate, chocolate cake, or if you're like me, I like, I love gum. And one time while I'm cold and it's wet, I'm thinking, boy, I'd really like a bowl of hot, steamy gumbo. Boy, that sounds really good. And then you start obsessing about that, and all you can think of is gumbo, 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 right? Before you know it, you're you're worthless for the rest of the day. That kind of mental process is exactly what Satan exploits to get us to do things, as Paul put it, that we would never want to do in our minds, but we end up doing. So he said each person's tempted when they're lured, they're enticed, they're pulled in by their own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, Gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers, James goes on. That's how it works. That's the formula. We know it. And I know we all know this stuff this morning. I'm not sharing this with you because I'm sharing something you've never heard before. You know it. I'm sharing it with you this morning because it's stuff that we just got to be aware of. We got to keep that going in our minds. We've got to think critically about the kinds of things we allow to influence ourselves and our families because this is a war. And it doesn't do us any good to ignore that truth. Number five, take preventative action. Once you recognize that there's a problem now, it's time to take action. If you know that a certain situation or a certain temptation is gonna lead to a certain end, then the best thing you can do is quickly get past that as fast as you can. And, uh, and, and maybe there's no greater example of this in all the Bible. We could look at a lot of them, but Joseph, right? Joseph is in a situation where he's in the household of Potiphar. He's in charge of everything. Potiphar trusts him with everything in the home. And the Bible makes a very clear statement. It says, Potiphar entrusted him with all things in the household, and everything was under Joseph's control except his own wife. Potiphar held from Joseph for obvious reasons. That was his wife. And, and, so, and so Potiphar's wife takes an eye to Joseph, and old Joseph is handsome, and he's, he's well-built, and Potiphar's probably always off at war doing the things that warlords will do. And, and so here Joseph is always at the home, and he's a good guy, it sounds like he's a responsible servant, probably cares for her, her physical needs in, in accordance with whatever she asks, and she begins to develop a thing for him. You know the story. And she lures him, hey, why don't you come to bed with me? Hey, why don't you come to bed with me? And Joseph tells her no. Eventually one day it's just that moment of crisis and this is a great lesson for everybody in the room this morning. The moment of crisis where Joseph and her are the only ones in the house. All the rest of the servants are out doing things. Joseph goes in the house. She grabs him by his jacket. Come to bed with me, right? And it says that he just took off his jacket and ran out of the house. Now you know the rest of the story. She is jaded and so she says he's some terrible pervert, right? And uh, he ends up going to jail for a number of years because of that. Ultimately God exonerates him here's the thing guys Joseph did the exact thing that you need to do when we encounter temptation that is take action don't hang around and see what's going to happen a lot of us, what I've done in life, and I'll just talk to my own experience, but a lot of times what I've done in things that are tempting to me is I kind of dabble in it or I deflect it. Oh, it's not a problem for me. I don't have an issue here. Or maybe I postpone it. You know, tomorrow I really need to change something here, right? I need to do something different tomorrow. Or I analyze it. I'm just going to understand it. Now, if I understand it, then... I just need to understand it a little bit better. If I only was just a little closer to understand it better, that's my, one of my weaknesses right there. When some people just embrace it, hey, this looks like fun, I'm gonna go for this. I think most of us don't realize the danger that's inherent in temptation. We don't see that little hook. We don't recognize that once it gets us, it's got us. And we're gonna be controlled by it. Romans 13 says this. He's, Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we talked about that earlier, and make no provision for the flesh. Let me just repeat that line for you real quick. You guys can read it, but it says, and make no, none. Don't give your flesh any chance to get the upper hand to gratify its desires. Because you and I both know what happens. When we start getting soft in ourselves, we lose the battle. Happens time and time again. So here's some things that we can do, and we're going to run through four of these very, very quickly, or three of these very quickly. Number one, quote scripture to yourself. We're not going to talk about that in the great detail this morning, although it's hugely important, but we've mentioned it two other occasions earlier in this series. Jesus did that when he was tempted. He quoted scripture back to Satan, and it was as much to himself as to Satan. Satan knew the text. Jesus was reminding himself of what God's plan and purpose was for his life. Quote scripture to yourself. And that's one of the most important reasons that we memorize scripture. We know it in those moments of crisis. We can pull it out and say, this is what God says. Even if you don't have the book chapter verse reference, even if you don't have an exact memorization of the text, if you know the... The gist of it, and it's good to have both of those former two things, incidentally, but if you know what that text says, you can remind yourself of what you know in your mind. Your mind is more powerful than your body. Your mind can control your body if we force it to. A friend of mine said this years ago, and I think he's right, at any given moment in life, we're doing exactly what we want to do. But sometimes it's just easier for our mind to let our body run the show. We can't afford to do that when it comes to temptation and to sin. Secondly, or seventhly, um, secondly, of the last three. Get some rest. I think one of the reasons that Americans are so susceptible today to temptation is that we run, 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 and we're wore down. Notice when Satan came to Jesus, day 40 of his fast. It wasn't on day one. It was day 40. Satan's challenging Jesus again at the garden in the moments right before he is drugged into the city and will pay the price for our sins. Satan must be speaking loudly in Jesus' ear at that moment. Satan knows that when we're physically weak, we are oftentimes mentally weak as well now look there's times and seasons in life where we will naturally be exhausted there's nothing we can do about that you have a kid a little baby at home and she screams and cries all night because her stomach hurts there's nothing you can do about that you love the child you're going to be exhausted there's seasons in life where we're with a with a loved one who is who is dying and and in that moment of, of of their passing we're constantly intending to their needs and loving them as we should but we're physically exhausted there's excuse for that but but let's make rest a priority In the other seasons of life, Genesis 2 reminds us that God did something very interesting. It says that on the seventh day, God completed all the work that he had been doing, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had undertaken. God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is pre-old law. This is way back at the beginning. This is the end of the creation story, day number seven. God points out, I'm gonna rest. And later in the year, we're gonna have a sermon about this specifically. But let me just say right now that, that God didn't do this on accident, church. I'm a goer, man. I like to go, I like to go seven days a week, 18 hours a day because I got all kinds of things I wanna do. Maybe it's because I'm getting old and lazy, or maybe it's just reality sinking in. That's not the best thing for my mind, not the best thing for my heart. We need to be people that rest. Listen, the being that created this world, God, spoke matter into existence. I don't know how that happened. It's not important for us to understand. We just know that he just said, let it be so, and it was so. And that being, infinitely more powerful than any of us in this room today, felt it Necessary to take a day of rest. I think that example was for us. Let's take that example. We're closing with this this morning. This is something to always remember there is always an escape. Remember, there is always an escape route. It might not be the most pleasant route. It might not be the one you want to take. It may not be the place you want to go. It might not be the thing you want to do. It might be a little obnoxious. It might fracture a relationship. It might make you look a little dumb. But there's always an escape route and God guarantees that. 1 Corinthians 10, one of the most comforting verses in the Bible when it comes to talking about temptation and challenges, says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. (laughs) You're not the first one to be tempted in this way. You're not the only one who's struggling with that. There's a very good chance in a church of this size, you're not the only one in the church that's struggling with that. There's other people that are too. But God is faithful, and he will not let us be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Paul is acknowledging something here that I think Jesus acknowledged that if Satan wanted to, he could tempt us and, and, and our temptation would be so powerful and his power would be so great that he could force us to do it. But God will not let that happen. There will always be an opportunity to walk the other way. But there's another word in this text. And that word is endure. You'll be able to endure it. You know, sometimes in my life, the reason that I haven't bared, born up under temptation the reason I just gave in is I got tired of the fight when I was in school I did a little bit of wrestling and one of the things about wrestling, when you first started wrestling practice, it seemed like it wasn't wrestling practice at all. They made us in the fall go out and you run. You run and 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 run until you don't even want to run anymore. You just want to fall down dead. Then they would make you put on bag suits and run when you were hot and lift light weights, but just do it a ton, a ton, a ton until your arms just wanted to fall off. I'm thinking, I thought we were going to learn how to grapple with people, like grab people and do holds and throw people on the mat. And the coach came in and said, unless you have endurance, you can never be a wrestler. Because if you ever watched any wrestling match, most of that time is spent in tension, in struggle. It's not like there's just a quick move and you get to flip someone over and you're over in two seconds. That happens once in a while. But that's when you're up against a not worthy adversary. Guys, we're not wrestling with an unworthy adversary. We're wrestling with an adversary that's been wrestling for 8,000 years. It's going to be a struggle. And it's okay. Struggle. Because we, we, we get so much from that. I read through uh, Vine's Greek Dictionary and the word for, uh, for uh, temptation. And it said this in the end of it. It said, there are trials that are permitted for a beneficial purpose that we might grow. It's in those moments where we're just (laughs) white-knuckling it and we're saying, God, I'm hanging on here, but not much longer. It's in those moments that we actually grow, that we develop character, that we become people that understand a little bit more about ourselves and the real weight of the fight that we're in. Sometimes God's going to let a little temptation roll through, and we're going to have to fight with it. There's always a way out. Look for that way out. And if there isn't, just keep hanging on. God will provide it. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing today. And I thank you guys for your great attention this morning. If there's somebody here today that just has a need in their life, they're like, you know what, I need to do what we talked about this morning. I need to step out in front of the church and say, hey, I need you guys to support me. I need to confess something. I need your encouragement. You know that there's always that opportunity here at Forest Park. If you need to sit down and talk with somebody after church and say, this is what's going on in my life, and I need you to know because I need you to hold me accountable, or I need some ideas, some answers, you know, there's a handful of people, there's dozens of people that would be happy to have that conversation with you. Just don't leave today without taking care of that business. Let's sing together.